What's going on, man? Welcome back to the basement. I'm Ron, and I have a little bit of explaining to do with you guys. And I know we were posting, you know, daily content from like August through December. We were getting on a hot streak there, and then I kind of vanished on you guys. You know, when the world needed him most, like the Avatar, I vanished. When, you know, the Dynasty community needed me for rookie takes, I vanished. And one part of it was is I kind of just needed to recharge, you know, especially the in-season stuff where for creatively it was a little bit taxing where every single week I had to do, you know, rankings, waiver wire, trade targets, you know, uh, pretty much the same five videos every single week, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. And I know a lot of you guys came here in the offseason where I had, you know, my zero RB video, my strategy videos. Those are really fun. I love those videos where I can be creative. I can kind of challenge the norm in the fantasy industry and be more creative and have more rewarding work, right? And that's not to say that, you know, like I was super miserable in season and that I can complain about making money to talk about, you know, fantasy sports or whatever. But I do enjoy when I'm making content that is thought provoking and creative more than, you know, just the the run of the mill, you know, trade target type videos. And now, obviously, I can't make every video super in-depth, but after a month, I could have came back and I was thinking about, you know, I'll come back, I'll just pump out daily videos. But, you know, in terms of Dynasty... I could definitely do some deep dives and stuff, but I really wanted to take my analysis to the next level because I could have, you know, turned on the camera, talked about, you know, player A, player B, player C, rambled about it for 20 minutes. I'm a good rambler. I can ramble for 20 minutes about any three players, turn off the camera, boom, video, mail it in. But I really want the Ron Stewart channel, you know, when you talk about me and the channel behind closed doors and, you know, in other people's discords and on Reddit and on Twitter, I really want you guys to really have a feel that, you know, Ron's analysis, the analysis on this channel, you can't get it anywhere else. It's very solid. His analysis is great. His stats are great. His models are great. You know, just the, the substance behind his channel is a feel you can't really get anywhere else. And I really want to make my videos as good as they can be. You know, I, I'd, I'd rather have the best quality videos than just like pump out a bunch of, you know, me rambling. I, I don't know, but I, I just really want to have some of the best content in the space. And I, I thought to myself, you know, how could I improve my dynasty game? And I think that I've had a lot of blind spots in terms of prospects where I was maybe weighing things wrong, or it's just, it's hard to navigate these profiles without properly weighting things. So I decided, I think the best way to do that would be to sit down and make models. Now that's not easy to do. You compile a bunch of stats in a Google sheet. So I took another month off to do that. And that's what we're gonna get into today. My quarterback model that I've been absolutely grinding away at. It's the strongest model across my quarterback, wide receiver, and running back models. It's really strong. We're going to get into exactly how it works, what I learned from it, you know, in terms of evaluating quarterbacks, and then also how does the model like my top five quarterbacks in the 2022 class, along with pulling some rookie comps from the database for you guys. So there's a lot of cool stuff on the docket for this video. This video might run a little bit long, but I'm going to have timestamps down below. If you don't want to hear the nerdy stuff, you can skip to the end. Now, with that being said, we're going to get to that in a second. Make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like if you enjoyed the video. Let's go. All right, so let's talk about my quarterback model. And the first thing that we need to kind of understand here is that quarterback models are just models in general, prospect models. You take a bunch of stats, you input them into the model, and it spits something out that predicts, you know, how good a player is going to be at the very base of it. Now, my personal model is what I would call a true grading system. And I still haven't come up with a good name for it. I've been working on the actual model more than the creative side of things. So if any of you guys, you know, I, we're going to be using these models going forward. So if any of you guys kind of come up with a cool name for it, or, you know, I come up with something on the fly, it's, it's set to change. But for now, just for simplicity's sake, we're going to call it the Ron Stewart grading process. And I think that for the most part, the most important thing 
when you're creating a model is really defining what you're solving for. And for me, it was pretty easy. I want a grade 10 through zero that predicts a quarterback's points per game in his first three years. Cause I think that's a pretty good barometer for how good a quarterback is and how his career pans out, right? Anything past then it gets murky. There's a lot of variance, there's injuries, whatever. But in the first three years, first of all, that's the, that's the, the first three years of the rookie deal. When you draft a quarterback in your rookie dynasty draft, I feel like it's almost pretty rare for you to keep one quarterback on your team for three years with the amount of trades that we do. And in those three years, that's the window for that rookie pick to accrue the most value. And you also want them to score points. So I think it's a really good barometer for that. So in terms of solving for a quarterback's point per game through their first three years, what does that grading process look like? And my grading process is I sat down, I got all the quarterbacks drafted from 2007 to 2020, and I compiled all the stats, you know, QBR, completion percentage, PFF passing grade, athletic stats, like 40 yard dash, relative athletic score, everything you could think of. And I tested them. And what I mean when I say test them is this is where it gets a little bit complicated. And what I would do is I would, let's say, let's take draft capital, for example, right? Let's order picks one all the way down to like 280 in the seventh round. And what I did was I, I looked through, I had the stat on one side and I had the a player's point per game through their first three season. And I compared, you know, where, where is the fall off point, right? Like when you look at it and you see, you know, picks one down to two, is there a drop off from one to two? Yeah. So then you go down, is there a drop off from two? And then you go down for me personally, I didn't see a drop off till after pick 12. So then I make that next bucket. And when you get all these buckets for these stats, you then can grade from there. So I'll show on the screen here, this is what it looked like for draft capital, right? Again, I saw the drop off after the first overall pick, then after the 12th overall pick through the back half of the second round. So those are three buckets, three criterias for draft capital just in the first round. We'll get to the rest of the first round in a little bit, but I then found the average points per game through three years for each of those buckets and I put them in the chart. And then from there, that's where we get the grading. Now we assume 18.81, right? Our top grade is our A plus. Now for the sake of this video, we're going to have A plus is 10, A is nine, A minus is eight, B plus is seven, so, so on and so forth. Pretty much just 10 through zero, a grading scale in terms of letters to better communicate that. And for draft capital in the first round, the way that I found each of the grades is first we find the number grade and we go 10 divided by 18.81, as you can see in the point per game through three column times 18.81. Pretty much the 18.81s cancel out and you have 10. That is your starting point, your A plus. From there, you do that same equation, but you swap out the second 18.81 for the point per game of each of these buckets. And then from there, it'll give you a grade out of 10 that is proportional, right? So 10 to 9.2, you know, 18.81 to 17.28 points per game through three seasons, as you can see in the first bucket and the second bucket is reflected 10 to 9.2, not a big drop off, but from picks two through 12 to 13 to 32, we have 17.28 points per game down to 12. So that's a really big drop off. And that's when we're going to see 9.2 to 6.4. So I'll flash on the screen real quick. This is what my official draft capital thresholds look like again. 10 is a plus nine and above is a eight and above is a minus seven and above is B plus and so on all the way down to F towards the zero range. And as you can see, I did the buckets after 13 to 32, you know, you have day two. So that's second and third round, then you have fourth round. Then I didn't really see a big drop off from fifth to sixth round. So I've had those in the same bucket, then seventh round all the way down. So I then take this exact, you know, style of creating grades for each stat. And I did that across all of the stats that I found to be predictive. 
And the beauty of that is now every stat, right? So if you want to have draft picks and you want to add also QBR, where QBR is like, let's say your quarterback's QBR is 85 and you're, they were drafted first overall, you can't just take those numbers and shove them into the, you know, into your output, into your grade, you know, into the model where I don't know how to do R. I don't know how to do all the fancy coding stuff. So this was the most simple way for me to put every grade on a on the same playing field. And I would take, you know, seven or eight. There's maybe seven or eight grades out there out of 10. And then you weight each of them, take the average, and then out of 10, boom, there's the grade. So just for simplicity's sake, let's say you have, you know, nine times your draft capital out of 10 plus QBR times one divided by 10. That then puts out a grade that factors in your draft capital nine you know 90 percent is draft capital 10 percent is your qbr right so you can kind of blend it like that where you you know you climb up and, and you make an average or you you weight the average in a way where you know you want a certain grade to affect the final grade more or less and with this process i have each of these spit out rs grades right so i have my my out of 10 grades i average them all together it spits out these rs grades now here are my top 25 quarterbacks in the database from 2007 to 2020 based solely on my rs grades as you can see there's no perfect tens it's very hard to be a perfect quarterback prospect for running back and wide receiver i did have some perfect tens you know like jamar chase and julio jones and saquon barclays but for quarterbacks it's much more difficult and the only quarterbacks with a nine or better grade is joe burrow and cam newton they're the only ones with a nine or better grade now this is cool to look at it's fancy the question really becomes is are they even that predictive the whole idea of me setting out to do this was to make my process better right somebody that I, I wasn't that high on was joe burrow where he didn't have a great breakout age he wasn't an early declare he just had one really good season as a fifth year senior and i was like you know what i i don't really want to buy into it i prefer my players to you know break out early declare early all that here's the thing for quarterbacks are not quite the same as running backs or wide receivers where we'll get into it later but that's not necessarily the end-all be-all for quarterbacks you don't need them to produce three years and then early declare and I think personally, that was a really big blind spot for me. So I wanted to make this as a way to refine my quarterback process, be better at scouting quarterbacks. And the only way to do that is if your model is more predictive than draft capital. As you can see by the screenshot, the model is pretty dang good for its first year. Every year, we're going to make improvements on it, hopefully get the R squared up. But for now, my RS grades have a 0.674 R squared to a quarterback's point per game through their first three seasons. R squared is just a correlation coefficient squared so it just shows you you know how much are the grades you know correlating slash predicting a quarterback's first three years points per game and 0.674 just means that 67.4 percent of the output so 67.4 percent of every quarterback's point per game through their first three seasons can be explained by my rs grades that doesn't seem like a a massive number but it is anything above like 50 percent for anything controlled by humans where it's pretty random and it's on a football field is pretty wild draft capitals r squared is only like 0.4 like maybe high 0.4 so we're out batting the nfl complex by a lot and that's really good now that's not by me doing and me like you know it's just me pulling things from the right places and kind of you know refining this taking a lot of time on it and there's still improvements to be made i'm sure that there's a model out there that's better than mine but i'm very happy with what i have here now a very important part is we don't just stop there right we don't just put every every prospect through see their rs grade and then you know we sit back we relax and that's it right we just you know every year the rs grades come in and we sit there we look at the grades and we say okay those are our rookie rankings for this year this is i wouldn't like i don't think that's the best thing to do right because an 8.8 .8 rs grade versus an 8.7 grade isn't that far off 
the point of the grades isn't to just blindly follow them. And this is a great quote from my friend Akash. He works over at uh, uh, Bulletproof Process with Bean Counter and all those guys. I believe he is at like YZR Fantasy on Twitter. He said something, he said this in a sleeper group chat. I thought it was great. He, he said that a good model should, you know, it should guide you like the force and you're Luke Skywalker with a blindfold on, right? So I don't want these, these RS grades aren't to give me the answers to the test, but it's to guide me in the right direction to get a feel for the profiles. And then from there, do my own research and just kind of within the tiers, figure out how I feel about players. Now, I realized that I said tiers there without actually bringing up what the tiers are to you guys, the tiers or the bucketed grades, right? So what I ended up doing was to add a little bit more context, a little bit more, you know, to make these a little bit more actionable is I bucketed the grades into tiers. And this is a concept by Bean Counter, uh, Drew Oceanuck on Twitter. I believe it's, he's at DF Bean Counter. And he was one of the first guys I ever saw do this where you take your prospect models, grades or outputs and you start bucketing them. So any grade for me that's above a 7.22 falls into the elite bucket, which has a 75% top 12 season hit rate. So I bucketed each RS grade based off of a top 12 season hit rate. And we have elite, which hits at a 75% rate. We have gold, which hits at 40%. We have silver, which hits at 28.5%. And we have bronze at 3%. So we let the tiers guide us. And then from there, we make the decisions, you know, and if there's two guys that are like, you know, super high end of gold and super low end of elite, you can kind of do some things there, but it's just to, to group the players, you know, show us how strong the, the profiles are on paper. And then we do the digging, we do, you know, the dirty work, but this is just to guide us in the right direction, like the force from Star Wars. Now, 15 minutes through, we've only really gone through the process. Now let's backtrack for a second. Let's talk about the components of the model. Let's backtrack for a second and kind of talk about what am I putting into the model? And I talked about this on the Malik Willis video we did last week. Check that out if you haven't already. I don't know, guys, I don't know why, or I know why it's because we haven't posted for a while, but it has like only 500 views. I'm telling you, I put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into that video. Go check it out. Okay. Go check it out. Go check out that video with Malik Willis. I'm telling you, it's a very, very solid video. Regardless, I'm, I'm, I'm half joking about that. It's fine. The, the algorithm, you know, they do us dirty sometimes, but my biggest point of emphasis when making this model is I wanted to allow multiple players paths, or I wanted to allow multiple paths to dominance for players. Like I, I think a pitfall of analytics is only identifying one type, right? Your model kind of identifies one type really well, and then that's it. So, you know, you know, the surefire hits and then it kind of cuts you off from everything else. I think that a model should more so kind of guide you into, you know, a, a pyramid of players, right? Where you can kind of go from there, but you don't want to just get, you know, half of the field cut. And I think that an example of this, if you know, loving one type is a lot of prospect models. They love, you know, Marcus Mariota and Baker Mayfield. And my model loves them too, but they hate, you know, Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Me personally, I have Mariota as elite. I have Baker Mayfield as elite. I'm telling you, most models out there are going to have Josh Allen as a bust. My model has Josh Allen as elite. It has Lamar Jackson as elite because of the tools that they had, because they looked decent on film. They had a lot of rushing upside. They were good athletes. And I want prospects in my model to shine outside of the, you know, the core metrics like QBR and adjusted yards per attempt, all that. I want to have other avenues. And this is actually why I ended up incorporating film grades. I have film grades incorporated to every single one of my models in this one and in all my models. I wanted to make sure that I have a blend of analytics and film because I just want to cover my bases the best I can. You know, I want to identify as many winners as possible. I want to have a big, the biggest sifter as possible. So when I shake for, you know, the diamonds, I can get the most diamonds possible. I want to cast a wide net. So with that being said, the easiest way for me to communicate to you guys, the components of the model is to split it up into three parts. We have film, 
decision making slash arm talent and rushing upside slash athleticism film accounts for 43 percent of the grade decision making slash arm talent accounts for 31 percent of the grade and rushing upside slash athleticism accounts for 26 percent of the grade now let's dive into film the first component and film is pretty straightforward i'm not personally a film guy i can't you know sit down watch college football and understand why a player would be a good prospect right i can kind of here's the thing fellas I can, I can play a little bit of madden i can define i can you know i can see you know one safety over the top that's cover three two safeties we're looking at cover two maybe cover four you know i i know you know maybe a a, a basic understanding of what's going on in the football field but for me to watch a quarterback and tell you that that what he just did can translate to the nfl i think would be asking a lot of myself i think that some people you know pretend to be able to do that i'm personally going to lean on the expertise of others and i think the biggest way to do that is through draft capital this is by far the biggest input in the entire model at 35% of the grade. And, you know, these are billion dollar organizations, teams that are doing hours of research, grinding film, going to pro days, looking at combine throws. Now, I know that some of them have analytics departments, but for the most part, draft capital, when teams make picks on players, it is for the most part, a film driven selection. So I count that as a film grade. If you're drafted highly, then you probably looked good on tape. The other component, much smaller, but still, still a good component at 8% of the grade is land zero line grades. Now, I want to say there are no stats in the model that I put there just to put there. Every single stat in the model core made the model have a higher R squared to points per game. And if it didn't, I cut that stat out of the model. So this is a, a really good input. It's 8% of the model. Lance Zierlein is the lead draft analyst at NFL.com since 2014. And that's the huge thing since 2014. The biggest thing that I can tell film grinders out there, anybody that's aspiring to be a, a respected film analyst, please, please, please chart your grades if you can just have grades set up you know five plus years of data and they're really really strong and predictive people are going to start using them but you need you can't just say you know uh dk metcalf was my wide receiver one in in 2019 you need to have a number to support that data guys like me we can't just take your ranks like one through five because you know dk metcalf was your wide receiver one doesn't mean that Jamar Chase is the same level of prospect as the wide receiver one in 2021, right? You need to have some kind of context there in terms of a grading scale, a grading system out of, you know, however many numbers you want to do it. But Land Zierlein has been doing that since 2014 for every prospect drafted, even those like defensive ones and all that. But I used his skill position ones and they correlate pretty strongly. His grades alone have a 0.46 R squared from his grades to first three year point per game, which is pretty crazy for grades that are made before the draft his his r squared or his his grades are almost as predictive as draft capital themselves and that's really it that is film surprisingly is the biggest input in my entire model at 43 percent. i think it was 43 percent of the grade is determined by film there's not really any need to incorporate more than that you know you have draft capital the nfl complex and you have a third-party scout to kind of cover all your bases there then we have probably the most intricate one, which is decision-making slash arm talent. And I still, I think that, that that name could use some work, but this component is to encapsulate how a quarterback impacts the game purely from a throwing standpoint. And this entire component, decision-making slash arm talent makes up 31% of the grade. Now the stat that is the main driver of that at 19% of the grade is what I call touchdown interception ratio X big time throw to turnover worthy play ratio and what that is it's a blend of two stats that i like and the first one's pretty straightforward which is touchdown interception ratio i take a quarterback's career average touchdown interception ratio and i then average it with this next stat which i call big time throw to turnover worthy play ratio i'll put the 
uh, definitions on the screen. We have big time throws, which are a pass with excellent ball location and timing, generally thrown further down the field and or into a tighter window. As it says, that's a big time throw. You know, it's down the field, it's into a tight window. It's a, it's a, it's a throw you watch and it makes you go, ooh, or ah. Then you have your turnover worthy plays which is a pass that has a high percentage chance to be intercepted or a poor job of taking care of the ball and fumbling. Now, I think that this is a good thing to add on top of touchdown interception ratio because those are touchdown interceptions. Those are real things that have happened on the field. This is a little bit more subjective, but you can throw a screen pass. A guy can take it 60 yards for a touchdown. You getting a touchdown for that. I'm not going to say it's not fair, but you get what I'm saying. It's not super like you didn't really score that touchdown same thing with interception if you throw a guy right in the numbers and it bounces off of him and gets picked that doesn't count as a turnover worthy play but it counts as an interception so it helps even out the variance i think and it also helps put a little bit subjectivity to it where you know a guy is really making some wowing throws but the touchdowns just aren't really happening especially at schools like wyoming and liberty with malik willis where the receivers aren't great so you can have a bunch of big time throws but maybe your wide receivers are dropping it they're not really you know they're not stud wide receivers so they're not taking the ball and scoring a touchdown with it a lot of things that can happen there so i think it's a good thing to implement with touchdown interception ratio with all the variance that comes with it and i also really like the big time throw to turnover worthy play ratio component regardless just because i think that it makes a lot of sense you know for the modern quarterback do you make enough big time throws to make your turnovers worth it you know do your highs justify your lows as an nfl quarterback now i will be honest big time throw to turnover worthy play ratio or just this input in general, if I just correlate it straight up this grade with point per game through three years, it's not the most predictive stat I have, but it's important to know with models, even the highest correlation stats, like if you have a stat that correlates, you know, 0.6 R squared and you throw it into your model, it might not improve anything. So it's really hard to say like normal stats that are really predictive it's a good thing but it also doesn't mean the entire world in terms of the context of your model for this i put it into the model and i i kept you know jacking up the weight of it and i kept making the r squared stronger and i settled on 19 percent. so it's a really big chunk i think it's the second biggest input outside of draft capital so it's a really good stat in the context of my model and i think that it kind of uh i think it kind of shined light on a on a blind spot the model originally had if that makes sense you know it gave boost to guys that had not the best qbr or not the best touch on the interception ratio i know josh allen was one of those guys where i think that he had like 40 plus big time throws one season to like maybe 17 or so uh turnover worthy plays he had like a two plus ratio in terms of big time throw to inner uh turnover worthy plays even though in like his final season i think he only had like i think he had like 17 touchdowns like 12 interceptions it was really bad but that gives a little bit more context you know you again you have to remember he's playing with scrubs at wide receiver at wyoming now that was a little bit of a tangent that's a really good stat that i use the next best stat that i use or next biggest input i use in this category is qbr over expected at six percent and the way that i find qbr over expected is i take total qbr it's from espn it's based on you know how good your throws are against uh, what level of competition you're playing against and pretty much the way i find Pretty much the way I find QBR overexpected is I take that, I chart it over every year of their career, right, from age 18 through 23, and I then find, you know, what did the average top 12 quarterback have in, you know, each year in QBR, and that's the expectation, right? You want to have a the QBR of a top 12 quarterback, and then I find, you know, how much did you overexceed that or how much did you underperform that, and I take, you know, your average, so let's say it's like minus five, plus five, you know, and zero, you're right on the money. Okay, then you your QBR over expectation for your career is zero. You were 
as expected in terms of a top 12 quarterback in QBR. So I take that, I do that for every single prospect, and it's not a huge input, but it shows some some signal, it's a good stat. Then we have our last input, which is SRS and OF+, plus, which I believe SRS accounts for 2%, I believe OF+, plus accounts for 4% of the final grade. And what I would call is, these are competition level stats, right? First we have SRS, which I have defined here as simple rating system a rating that takes into account average point differential and strength of schedule the rating is denominated in points above slash below average where zero is average it pretty much takes into account how good your team is and how good the opponents are right so just you know it, it is a competition kind of thing where you know you want to have a little bit of a ding if you're not playing at a you know a big d1 school so you know joe burrow lsu versus josh allen at wyoming you want to have that as a factor somewhere within your model and that does just that now to defend against you know a player let's say uh i can't think of one maybe like a like a shea patterson where he's the quarterback for michigan really good defense but the offense isn't great or at least you know he's not throwing amazingly just any quarterback you can think of that's decent but on a team that is getting juiced by srs not because of the offense but because they have a really good defense and of plus is essentially just football outsiders offensive rating and it just communicates you know the competition along with the level of offense to counteract against a team that is really good defensively but not good offensively so pretty much was your offense efficient was it good and did you play against good competition that's what srs and of plus encapsulate now the last thing i wanted to go over in terms of this section was stats i tested but i didn't end up using and the first one i want to talk about is breakout age and when i found you know, when I did the research and I, I tried to find buckets, I found that it didn't really matter when a quarterback broke out. And I think that people, you know, me included, I talked about this earlier, but a big flaw I had is, you know, you treat every position equally, right? So quarterbacks, you look for similar things that you look in for wide receivers, right? You want them to produce early. And, you know, that's that makes you lower on guys like Joe Burrow, who had, you know, just one good, you know, one good year as a fifth year senior. And then he declared as a senior. It wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't an early declare. He wasn't a prolific guy who started three years and then declared so i thought that that was a ding from what i found that's not really a big knock on a player's profile it seems like for quarterbacks that peak you know peak performance you know that fifth year going really crazy is better or not better but as important than career right just having a, a really solid career average the peaks really matter at quarterback because i think it really shows you know a quarterback's upside i think also quarterback because it's not such a physical position where it's a lot of mental processing if you just have one breakthrough season i think that's all you really need to be a really good pro quarterback when i, when I say breakthrough season i mean joe burrow final season heisman level performance and you can see that with joe burrow you see that with cam newton like i said earlier he went to florida he was like a juco guy didn't like have a i think he only had like one year as a full starter same thing with kyler he played a little bit as like a freshman and sat behind Baker for a little bit. And then he came out uh, as a junior, lit the world on fire. He didn't have, you know, like three years of starting experience as like a freshman and have a, a really like these quarterbacks don't have a really linear way to the top. And if they do, it's not always like a huge indicator. And something that was similar to that that I wanted to test was years as a starter, right? So I actually wanted to see, you know, maybe we slept on Justin Herbert because he played four solid seasons and we didn't factor that in, right? If you're a quarterback in college and you can start for your team for you know multiple seasons maybe that's a good thing i tested it didn't really show anything great you know i really found that peaks are everything for quarterback you you really don't care about uh you know even like like final season slumps you just want to see a player 
be really good at some point. You want to see that flash of potential of being a difference-making quarterback that can make all the throws and, you know, lead their team to, you know, playoffs and all that kind of stuff. Now, Justin Herbert flashed for different reasons. It wasn't because he started for a while. It's because, you know, he's a big physical guy, huge hands, relative athletic score is great. He rushed in college. In his throwing stats, I want to say big-time throw to turnover-worthy plays. He has one of the, the best ones in the database. So Herbert is really solid in other spots that I wasn't looking at. Then another one that that didn't make it to the final cut, draft age and early declare, didn't matter. Like all other positions, I thought it would be beneficial for quarterback, didn't matter. You know, again, uh, I think this is a recurring theme. You really don't have to be undeniable early and be young and declare early. You don't have to have that same pathway to greatness that wide receivers do. You really just need to have, you really need to explode early on. And it's, it's more about the explosion and the magnitude of the explosion than it is about when did that explosion take place if that makes sense. Now, a couple other ones that didn't make the cut, PFF grade, completion percentage over expectation, completion percentage, just, you know, the PFF pass grade for one wasn't great because guys in bad conferences get juiced. Then you have uh, CPOE, completion percentage, adjusted yards per attempt. I think all those are actually fine stats. They just didn't make my model better, but I think that they make other people's models better and they're, they're fine stats to use. Now, moving on, we have rushing upside slash athleticism, the last component of the model, which takes up 26% of the RS grades, and that's the lowest number of all of them, but it's still a good chunk. And I like this one because I think it captures upside more than anything where you have, you know, a quarterback's Konami code upside and just, you know, how can a quarterback break fantasy? And the first input I have is pretty straightforward where it's just rushing yard market share and it's just a player's average market share of a team's rushing yards over their entire career. Now, I also use rushing yard numbers, you know, rushing yard market share numbers as thresholds for quarterback rushing designations. So this is, as you can see, you know, I have the archetype here on on the right side of the prospect here, and that has, you know, Konami code, mobile, and statue. These are all based off of these rushing market share thresholds and it just shows you you know quarterbacks having a tendency do they have a tendency to scramble do they have a tendency to scramble a lot in terms of konami are they statues and that's really valuable for fantasy because i found that athleticism is is good for quarterbacks but in terms of correlating directly to fantasy rushing points we actually want quarterbacks it's it's more tendency based than it is athleticism based if that makes sense cam newton and andrew luck ran the same 40 time at the combine Cam Newton runs the ball much more than Andrew Luck. So it really is much more of a mental thing, much more of a tendency thing in terms of how much these quarterbacks run. And I think it's also a really good signal for guys that are statues in the modern NFL. Some guys that we've seen that are statues that have kind of flailed out recently. We've seen uh, we've seen Goff, we've seen Josh Rosen, we've seen Dwayne Haskins. So there's a lot of guys that if they're statues, they need to be really, really elite throwers of the football to succeed at the next level. And I think that's a really good context to have when we're looking at these prospects. Then our final component, which is also 13% of the upside athleticism type component of the model is hand size and relative athletic score. And this is just a blend of both. First, we'll talk about relative athletic score. I'll put Josh Allen's uh, card on the screen, but pretty much it's a stat made by, I want to say at Math Bomb on Twitter. He takes you know a quarterback's size, speed, agility, and explosion and spits out a number zero to 10 and that is their athleticism compared to other quarterbacks, right? So like a 4.75 for a quarterback is, you know, way better than a 4.75 for a wide receiver. So, it, you know, it puts quarterbacks on the same playing field as their counterparts. Josh Allen had a 9.67. That's an A-plus type score in RAS, just to show you guys kind of to get a feel for what RAS is. Then I also have the second component, which is hand size. And at first I was a little bit skeptical of if hand size would really make anything better in the model. It actually did. There's some guys that have huge hands that are 
good, right? You have Dak Prescott has like the biggest hands in my database. Same thing with Nick Foles, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Andrew Luck. I think it kind of hand size itself doesn't really show, you know, it's hard to say what it does, but I think that it shows throw power, right? Big hands. I feel like a lot of quarterbacks with big hands can throw the ball harder. Uh, I know Josh Allen has some of the biggest hands in the league. Again, Andrew Luck, Justin Herbert, you know, Herbert and Josh Allen, guys that can sling it with 10-inch hands. You also have, I, I want to say it also, you know, just a guy having big hands. In a way, I feel like it does factor into just total overall athleticism, right? If you have big hands and you're just a big boy, then you're probably banging bodies. I, I don't know. That's the best way I can sum it up. So then I have a grading scale through 10 for both for RAS and for hand size. I average them together. That gives us this grade. It just gives us a clear picture at who is an athlete to go alongside with their rushing upside. Ideally, you have a guy who runs the ball a ton and then also has the athleticism to make up for it. And I wanted to use 40 yard dash. I, I thought that 40s would be a little bit better, but they don't really correlate a ton. Again, I'm telling you guys, tendency is the biggest thing here. And then also just functional athleticism more than just straight line athleticism. That's why I used RAS. Now we are finally done explaining the model all of those components encapsulate into my rs grade and you have the prospect here as elite gold silver bronze like we said this is the juicy part of the video i'll put a timestamp down here this is going to be one of the longest videos i've made in a while but I, I need to have something for you guys to come to the video with i'll probably put on the thumbnail you know top five quarterbacks whatever so that you guys actually come to the video and watch it because if i just said like i don't even know what i would title it like like model talk it probably wouldn't do anything i really don't expect the video to do much anyways but i figured you know if you made it this far might as well give you guys a little bit of a, you know, something a little bit more juicy, a little bit of a reward. And this is going to be the section of the video we talk about, you know, applying the model. What are my top five quarterbacks in this class based on the model? And what are their closest comps? Now let's talk about quarterback one, a quarterback in a tier of his own. In tier one, we have Malik Willis up top. And before we even talk about Malik Willis, let's show this screenshot. Let me break it down a little bit because it's a little bit of a loaded screen grab for you guys. First, we have on the left, we have prospect info which is a quarterback's draft round, their draft pick, their draft year. Now, I also want to say Malik Willis hasn't been drafted yet, but that is just his projected draft capital based on Grind the Mocks, really solid website where they project draft capital based on like thousands of mocks. Then we have a player's prospect tier. These guys are all elite, but again, these prospect tiers, we have elite that hit top 12 quarterback seasons at a 75% rate. Gold hits them at 40%, silver 28.5%, bronze 3%. Then after that, we have a quarterback's rushing archetype which rounds out the prospect info that gives us the entire picture in terms of just basic information for the prospect then on the right we have the rookie comps area which is where i separated the model's outputs into three components and then i graded them using letters just so it's easier for you guys to understand in terms of you know just in terms of letter grades and how do these players grade out in each of the three core components then at the absolute far right we have srs grade which i left as numbers just to show you guys what is the model spitting out for that player now the rule of thumb for grouping these prospects were for the comps to only go above or below one grade level right so if a prospect has a b plus on film only prospects with a minus b plus or b were eligible to make it into that quarterback's comps and i did that for all three of the components and then it spit out the comps of course within that player's prospect here now when we look at malik willis i'm not going to gush about him and keep talking about him because i made that whole video last week if you want to check it out i go in depth step by step through his pro prospect profile but his comps are really really solid you know he has immense upside with that elite konami code designation josh allen and patrick mahomes are in his range of outcomes he has the upside to be a top six startup pick right five of the top six quarterbacks in startup drafts 
are elite Konami code QBs. If Malik Willis's top 12 draft capital holds, I think that his film holds up enough where he has draft capital and lands zero line likes him. Then you have his rushing upside slash athleticism at the end there. A minus, really, really solid. His decision making is questionable, which makes him volatile. But again, I mean, Josh Allen had a C, Wentz had a C plus, you know, and Mahomes and Trubisky weren't that much better. He is not, his decision making isn't the worst. His big time throw to turnover worthy play ratio also very solid. And I think that Wentz and Trubisky as his, you know, floor type outcomes aren't that bad at all. I think Jalen Hurts is a good floor outcome. Again, if he gets drafted top 12, he will start for three years. Being a Konami code quarterback and being as athletic as he is, I think he will provide you enough of a floor where he can, you know, support top 15 quarterback value for a year or two. And if you decide that he is not good in real life, you can always just flip him at that value. I, I said this in the Malik Willis video, Jalen Hurts is QB 14 right now in Dynasty. Only 12 running backs are ahead of him. He literally has job security concerns in real life. And that's not a bad outcome at all. You could probably trade Jalen Hurts for, you know, an early first right now. So I think Malik Willis has, you know, asymmetrical upside where, you know, his floor really isn't that bad for a Konami code upside quarterback. And I think that he does have, you know, a range of outcomes, unlike anybody else in this class where he can be, you know, he has a pathway to be a top six startup pick in the future. Now that's going to bring us to tier two where we have Matt Corral. And after Malik Willis, there's a massive drop off into tier two for me. And again, Matt Corral, easily at the top. He's my quarterback too, but it's not a strong tier. These aren't quarterbacks I really want to draft that bad. And Matt Corral, when we look at the comps here, they're not great. Uh, he has Johnny Manziel, Paxton Lynch, EJ Manuel, Jordan Love, and Josh Freeman. None of those guys are very good, right? His comps are kind of mid, but on paper, I don't really mind Matt Corral's profile at all. You know, he showed a lot of promise. He didn't look that great this season, but the season before that with Elijah Moore in his final season, he had one of the best QBR seasons for, I think, a 21 or 22-year-old in my entire database. And he just seems like a fun, you know, gunslinger type quarterback. I know Lance Zierlein has his best comparable player as Baker Mayfield. I think, you know, baby Baker Mayfield with like a little bit less strong of an analytic profile is a decent comparable for him. The thing is, is that I think that the reason why his comps are bad is most because is pretty much because of draft capital, which I haven't projected for 26 overall, which is from Grind the Mox. The thing is, is that Matt Coral is one of the few guys in this class that has a strong enough profile where if he went top 12, he would also be an elite Konami code QB. And if that happened, he would be probably in my top three to five for rookie Superflex drafts. Right now, he's more of a mid to late guy where he probably fits more into the Daniel Jones, Jake Locker, Johnny Manziel type mold of quarterbacks that I have as first rounders that were also gold Konami code QBs. So probably gives you decent production, never wows you. But again, if the, if the NFL, I think that he, he does have a chance of, you know, going early first round, you know, top 12 picks. If the NFL does decide to take him that early, I will be much more in on Matt Corral. But for now he is very firmly my QB two. I don't think there's anything else that could happen unless not if, not if Kenny Pickett did, but if, if Sam Howell or Desmond Ritter went top 12, I would bump them ahead of Matt Corral. Then we have Kenny Pickett at QB three, and I hate Kenny Pickett's profile. On paper, he doesn't look great at all. He's really just buoyed by the scouts. The scouts like him, right? He is the only quarterback outside of Malik Willis that I'd have as a lock for the top, you know, 20 picks of the NFL draft. Right now, he's projected for 17th, but I've seen him go in mocks as early as sixth overall to the Panthers. You know, Lance Zierlein doesn't hate him either. Lance Zierlein has him, you know, as I think he's tied for QB2 with Matt Corral in terms of film grade. Apparently he looks good on tape, but again, I don't watch tape. So in terms of the numbers, I don't love it at all. I will say that it's a little bit strange. I say that because I want to say his, his comps are probably as good, if not better than Matt Corral's. I was being very generous, allowing the B plus rushing upside slash athleticism 
grades in there while Kenny Pickett has a B minus. So really only Drew Locke should have made it into this comp screenshot, but I don't want to just have him just comp to Drew Locke. So I had everybody else, you know, into the comp list. But it doesn't look great. You know, a huge knock for him was those 8.5 inch hands. And I know it's hard to say, you know, hand size is the reason a player shouldn't be good. I don't really love, you know, like the double gloves thing. You know, it, it gives me Teddy Bridgewater vibes. I know that that's like very like bro science, but I don't like that at all. Like uh, my quarterback ideally is like Justin Herbert where he has big ass hands and he can sling it. Kenny Pickett just, he really does seem like Teddy Bridgewater to me. And I think that's a, I guess that's a fine outcome. You know, Teddy Bridgewater thing is a fine outcome. I don't even hate. I think Josh Freeman is like a, is a fine comp for Kenny Pickett. He just doesn't excite me at all, which, which sucks because the NFL is the most excited about this kid for whatever reason. He's listed as mobile. Again, his, his hands get an F grade. His relative athletic score is actually pretty solid with a 9.54, but he wasn't like an Uber rusher in college. He wasn't somebody that ran the ball a ton. It, it is rough. I don't think he has a ton of rushing upside. I think really his film is the only thing that's carrying him and his arm talent stats were the worst part of his profile for a guy that I don't think relies on, you know, the same way that Malik Willis relies on his athleticism. Best big time throw to turnover worthy play ratio was 1.59. For perspective, Malik Willis, who's supposed to be one of the, or Malik Willis, who's supposed to be one of the worst passers in this draft class, had a 2.22 uh, ratio, so much better than Pickett. Ideally, you want to have like above a two. He just doesn't, like nothing really comes off, you know, the page besides his film grade. Ideally, I would like to have his decision-making or rushing upside size athleticism, you know, kind of speak for the profile. Neither do. It's really all on the back of draft capital and Lanzier line grades. So, I mean, I you can sit here and just trust the, the film graders, but for me, he's a low upside quarterback. I, I don't really see the appeal. You know, I don't hate, you know, a, a Joe Flacco, Josh Freeman, type comp for him like I think Mark Sanchez isn't a bad one either he, this just seems like one of those profiles that scouts like that don't really make a ton of sense now again unlike Matt Corral even if Kenny Pickett goes in the top 12 he will not have enough of a of a prerequisite score to be an elite quarterback so he'll literally just still be a gold at that point maybe he'd be my QB2 if he goes like top 10 he'll be my QB2 but again really not thrilled to take uh, Pickett he's like a, a late first round pick for me in Superflex rookie drafts then our QB4, still in Tier 2, is Desmond Ritter, and I love Desmond Ritter. Now, sadly, I actually had to make this update today. We're going to do a video early, or later on in the week where I go through and update everything, but there was a Grind the Mocks update, right? So that website I really like for projected draft capital. They came out with an update the other day where they updated everything, they moved players around. So based on that, you know, if a player falls from one bucket to another, it can, it can move them up or down. So I'll make a video on who got bumped up and who got bumped down from uh, pro day relative athletic scores and then also draft capital movements. Desmond Ritter is one of the guys that got bumped down. He still stayed in gold, but it bumped him from like a high gold to a low gold. Not a huge thing, but the reason I had to move him down to QB4 is just because a lot of there's a lot of volatility with his profile in terms of draft capital. That's the biggest thing for Desmond Ritter. I love the profile on paper. We'll get into that in a second. But from a draft capital perspective, he could be a top 12 pick he could be a second round pick. He could also fall all the way into the third round. In terms of in terms of draft capital, it's all over the place. I really only have Pickett ahead of him because Pickett is much more of a lock to just get, you know, top 20 draft capital, be a first round pick. And that's pretty big. But for Desmond Ritter, draft capital for him, very volatile. But on paper, I like his profile. And I think his comps are pretty fair, right? We have EJ Manuel and Josh Freeman as kind of his floor comps, which are, you know, fine, you know, quarterbacks that are, you know, mobile, but not great throwers. And then I think Kaepernick as his upside scenario makes a lot of sense. Guys who, you know, Nevada, Cincinnati, kind of smaller schools, athletic guys, though Kaepernick was more athletic. Ritter was actually better at throwing than Kaepernick in college. As you can see, he has a B minus in the decision-making category, which is higher than uh, EJ Manuel and Colin Kaepernick. 
which is actually pretty wild because I think that on paper he's kind of considered one of the worst throwers in this class but Desmond Ritter has a better decision-making grade than Corral, Willis, and Pickett. All three quarterbacks just went over. And I also love his Konami Code rushing upside. He falls into the Konami Code category. He has really high upside. I think that, you know, Jalen Hurts, Kaepernick-type upside in the second round makes a lot of sense. If he goes in the first round, even better. If he goes top 12, he will fall into the elite Konami Code QB category. So keep an eye on that. Keep an eye on if Matt Corral or Desmond Ritter go in the top 12, they're going to get huge bumps up in my rankings. Then finally after 51 minutes of rambling this is going to be maybe the, the longest video i've ever made i'm very sorry to the editor um but this is just what had to be done now the last quarterback we're going to talk about sam howell take out the i'm sorry to the editor thing no i don't think i will now our last quarterback after 50 minutes of rambling in tier three is sam howell now i have him uh, in a tier by himself and here's the thing i personally don't mind him but his film he's kind of the the opposite of kenny pickett where his film grade is the one that's lacking or his film component is weighing him down first we have Lanzier line who has him as his quarterback five in the class and then we have the nfl draft capital projected right now as the quarterback five in the class he's projected to go he's projected to get drafted behind the four quarterbacks we already listed and Lanzier line has him behind the four quarterbacks we already listed so you know draft capital and this you know third party scout scout lining up on this quarterback not looking good on tape it's a, it's hard not to have that as a major ding on his profile again i don't mind him on paper but if the scouts really don't like him i have to at least trust them a little bit now in terms of what i see on paper right he has a c plus film grade in terms of what i see on paper in terms of a b minus decision making grade that's really solid he had a really really good 3.3 big time throw to turnover worthy play ratio that is i want to say like the highest of the class he looked really good he also outperformed his qbr every single season he started three years early declare all that kind of stuff again i don't really factor that in a ton i think that's kind of why he doesn't grade out well is because in my model you know my model doesn't care that he was an early declare and he started for three years even though i know some people do value that now for what it's worth i don't love his comps i think you know somewhere between geno smith and andy dalton is probably fair if he goes you know early second round i think he's better than you know a kyle trask or you know that type of prospect or you know somebody like that so i think geno smith and andy dolan are fair i think he'll start some games in the nfl we really just need to see the film check out in some way if he can sneak into the first round that'll be huge for him it'll put him in a tier of gold and i'll have him in the same tier as corral pickett and ritter maybe even have him qb2 qb3 if he stays second round i'll have him in a tier below that and if he goes top 12 sadly his lands line grade and his rushing upside isn't really enough and his decision making was good at b minus but not amazing even if he goes top 12 it won't be enough to push him into elite so we're really just hoping that he gets first round draft capital and he'll pretty easily be a top three quarterback for me but until then i'll be a little bit more on the conservative side i'll have him at qb5 for now now that was a lot of info to take in here if you enjoyed the video if you enjoyed this type of analysis and this type of statistical deep dive stuff and you want to help keep the lights on in the basement make sure you go down below to patreon.com slash ron stewart it'll be in the description you can literally just type it into the search bar above it'll bring you right to the website and it'll give you access to all of my prospect grades my rookie comps across all positions my rankings i have my top 48 superflex tight end premium rankings already live for rookies all of them have my prospect grades there my running backs my wide receivers my quarterbacks and i also while i'm doing this research i even have a spot in the discord now for the premium members where I'll update them, you know, live as I'm doing research and as I'm making these findings. So they have all been tuned into, you know, this entire video for the last like month and a half, where as I was, you know, spending those late nights, you know, grinding on the Excel sheets, I was writing stuff in the discord and, you know, bouncing ideas off of people. So it's a really cool spot. And, you know, we talk about trade advice, you know, the normal dynasty stuff as well. So all of that is included in there for, I'm telling you, I'm ripping myself off at $5 a month. So if you want to check that out, $5 a month, that's the plan for now, but I plan to on 
Friday. I'm going to sit down and revamp the entire Patreon. I'm going to, you know, go through what each tier gets. I'm going to bump up the first tier to probably like $8. And everyone that was on the Patreon before that, they're going to be grandfathered in. They'll always be $5 a month for as long as they continue to pay. But moving forward, it will be different. So if you want to get in before that happens on Friday, make sure you check out the Patreon, patreon.com slash Ron Stewart. As always, I love you guys. Make sure you go down below, subscribe, leave a like. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to stay here any longer because this was a long ass video. As always, I'll see you guys in the next one. Ten oaks, Adam's on. Foolies, glad I'm on. Even my haters kind of glad I'm on. Rest in peace to my bag up on. Rap a song, singer. Suspended subpoena from Mr. Meaner's dreamer. Hellback asses, Loki's still a demon.